by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. It's good to be in a house with so many preachers. You know that we're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. Man, I love those songs this morning. They were really touching my heart. You know, this is a house of miracles. Because where Jesus is, miracles are possible. Where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty and there's, there's the power that raised Christ from the dead available to us. And when she said, come to that altar, I was like, I thought everybody would. Because I know everybody in here has needs. I know you know somebody that does. I know there's, you know, we're living during a pandemic. We're living in tumultuous times, to say the least. And, and I'm just, I just went to the altar to pray for you guys. I, I wanted to, to fall down on my knees and say, God, let this be a house of miracles. Lord, let us not be just religious and going through the motions in this most important, critical time in the history of the world. Because of the blood of Jesus enters us into a covenant, miraculous, supernatural covenant that we can come to the altar he can stretch forth his hand to heal. That there might be signs and wonders in the name of his holy child, Jesus. Are you with me? We've got to begin to be a church that taps into the power while it's here. We can't be worrying if somebody else is going to do it. We can't be looking around and saying, is anybody else worshiping? Is anybody else going to go to the altar? We have to be deep enough with, with our own relationship with Jesus. We don't care what anybody else does. The only reason we care is we want them to be blessed like we are. And somebody needs to set the example. You know, I preach down at the jailhouse, and they're all concerned about what somebody else is thinking. They're looking at each other in these orange jumpsuits, you know. And I've given a, a call to come to Jesus. And you know I preached a good message, you know, because that's, that's the best message in the world. You know what I'm saying? how they can be forgiven of their sins, and man, you can see their heart bumping outside that, that jumpsuit that they want it so bad. But, but then when I tell them to bow their head and close their eyes, you can see them looking around and see if anybody else is going to do it first. <laughs> it shouldn't be that way in the church, people. I mean, we should be wide open. We should be wide open. Don't never, never let it be said that my ch church was hindered by me. That I was the chosen frozen. <laughs> I want to be on fire. Forget that lukewarm stuff. Come on, church. I'm here today to say, come on, church. Woo! <laughs> Hallelujah. We praise you, Jesus. We're excited to be in your house. You're doing something in this time. You're doing something with our lives. We want to be right up in the middle of everything you're doing on this earth, Lord. The world's going crazy, but we're going crazy for Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We want to honor you in your house. We want to get down in the depths of our heart. We don't want to stay up in, the, in this region up here. This region up here is the one that got us in trouble all these years. We want to get down in our hearts where the Spirit of God dwells. We're temples of the living God. We want more. We want more 
in our lives? Ain't you tired of the humdrum of, of day after day in the flesh? Well, I say the Spirit overcomes the flesh, and I choose the Spirit right now. And this church chooses to walk in the Spirit and overcome the flesh. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Mm. Guess who called me this week? Oh, how. Now, some of y'all ain't been hearing the, the previous messages. You need to go back. I've been telling how stories. Now, out of the blue, he called me, and thank goodness he ain't been listening to the podcast. <laughs> All the stories I've been telling on Hal and on myself as well. But I did tell him. I was honest. I said, Hal, I've been telling some of our old stories. He said, good. At least they'll learn what not to do. <laughs> because Hal got saved. He's serving the Lord too. Hallelujah. Not hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I figure I'll continue on today with a how story since we're in this series called The Rescue because God has a, a rescue and evacuation plan for his people. We're, we're going through the timeline of biblical history. We're going to get to eventually to where we are today and where we're going. So that you'll keep, got to keep coming. Everything is building. God's laying a foundation of what he's doing. So far we see that we ain't got a chance in the flesh. We can't overcome our own selves. And, and then God presented us last week and the week before that with the concept of faith. That it's by faith that we overcome. It's by faith that we obtain the promises of God. It's by faith that we do what God created us to do. And that's the only way we'll be able to do it. And so today, we're going to take it farther than faith. We're going to talk about faithfulness. Ooh. Somebody got scared right there. <laughs> Big words. But anyway, I'm going to tell you a how story first. You all right? You see, when we was in high school, I went to Whitehaven High School, and uh, all the cool people in high school would hang out at the Southland Mall over there off Shelby Drive. And they'd have their big trucks and fancy cars and everything, and they'd be listening to their music real loud and maybe sneaking a drink of alcohol here and there until the cops run them off, you know, how it used to be. Back when I was in high school. Me and Hal, man, we wanted to be in the cool crowd, but we just wasn't cool enough. But we was always trying to impress the cool crowd. So what we would do, Hal had this 400 horsepower Kawasaki motorcycle. And so every Friday and Saturday night while they was over there in the parking lot hanging out as cool people, Hal would ride down Shelby Drive with a wheelie. Whirring! You know, and they'd say, there's that crazy Hal. They... He just thought, man, that was impressing them, but they were thinking, that's that crazy guy again. <laughs> but the bad news is, is that motorcycle was raggedy, and it was getting raggedier-er, raggedier-er. Because he didn't have the money to repair this thing, you understand. The, the back brakes had went out. He only had front brakes. Third gear wasn't working anymore. He had to switch from second to fourth. And he learned to overcome these things. But it was when the clutch cable messed up he was really having some problems and i told him don't do it tonight but no here he comes down about 40 miles an hour right in front of all the cool guys down shelby drive he's coming down the road and he and that clutch lets go on him in a wheelie and it flumped him backwards 
And he just rolled like he was crashing like the $6 million man back in the day. Don't worry. There ain't a motorcycle wreck ever been able to kill Hal. That boy was stout and tough and rough, and nothing could. could uh, I, I seen him one time. He hit a car on his motorcycle, side, hit it in the side, and flipped off the motorcycle and did two flips and landed on his feet in the grass in the yard next door. It's a true story. I mean, I'm sure he fell over, but that's the way he told it. But you couldn't tell how. But the thing is, we had to run out there and pick up that motorcycle. He was dusting himself off. He then rolled across the ground. You know? we, that motorcycle was about 20 pieces. It, it, what was the talk of the, all the cool people the next two weeks? Crazy how. Oh, my goodness. He was the laughing stock of all of Whitehaven for about two weeks after that. Why do I tell this story? I don't know. But I would say this. Don't be like me and Hal were in the day, trying to impress the cool crowd. Last week we talked about Jacob and Esau. We said don't be like Jacob and Esau. They come out of the womb wrestling one another. They come out into the world, begin to wrestle against God. That's the way me and Hal were. He was sort of like Esau because Esau was red and Hal has red hair. And they were both indestructible, manly, manly men, you know. And I was more like Jacob, you know, conniving, swindling, you know, my way through life trying to get a deal on somebody. But all of us were wrestling against God. But we saw a clear contrast between wrestling against God and Father Abraham. He worked with God. He had faith. You remember that word? that we talked about so much, say, be faithful. Let the buck stop with you. Break those generational curses. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are still doing the same things your mama did, same things your daddy did that were wrong, and we're just carrying it into the next generation. But the buck stops right here, right now, I say. Break those generational curses. Be the one that's not the dysfunction junction in your family anymore. Be the one who turns everything around. Follow the Lord like faithful Abraham. Now, I, I did notice that Abraham was older when he, <laughs> he came to his senses and started following the Lord. Then, uh, but you know, you can learn from other people's mistakes. And that's what this series is doing. It's showing us time and time again, our flesh is not going to get the job done. We have to have faith and we have to follow the Lord. How do you be faithful in times like this, Pastor? Have you seen the news? You see what's going on in Afghanistan? Do you know we're in the middle of a pandemic? How do we be faithful? Everywhere I look, it seems like the devil's trying to overwhelm me. Do you know that I'm not meeting my bills right now? Do you know my job is not secure? You know this and that. I know. I live in the same world. You say, Pastor, Four million people have died of this COVID worldwide. Well, yeah. If you count all the people who had motorcycle wrecks and died and happened to have COVID that they threw in the list. But, yeah, a lot of people has died, and I'm not making light of it. I'm not making light that, that this is a serious deal and that we are in turbulent times. We are in the middle of a tribulation. 
so to speak. Not the one that's going to come, but we're, we're pre-tribulation. <laughs> we're in the birth pains right now in the world. It's crazy. It's wackadoo. But I want to encourage you that we're not the first to face tribulations in our generation. It's always been wackadoo here on earth. The ravages of sin have always been here. Do you know in the 1300s, they had something called the bubonic plague? Did I say that right? It was close. The bubonic, bubonic, boob. It was a plague. Do you know, and you may not know this, up to 200 million people died of that in the 1300s. You say there hadn't been tribulation this bad before? Oh, yes, there has. Did you know in 1918, bringing things more up to date, that there was a flu pandemic before we had, you know, most people got herd immunity to the flu, so to speak, and up to 50 million people died in 1918? So you compare that to 4 million these days. There have been rough times before. What about World War II? Maybe 150 million people died in that. You had to send your children off to war. There was a war effort here in America where people had to pull together. We actually had to come together in unity to overcome a real enemy. And we saw that the enemy wasn't each other. That we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We had to come together as a nation to defeat these spirits of evil in the world. During hard times, Christians either bow out or they bow down. And as for me and my house, we're going to bow down and serve the Lord. We're going to pray our way through this. In this church, we're going to pray our way through these things. The victory is ours. But we got to stay in the fight. Hebrews 10.23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Say faithful. That's our word today, faithful. Because God is faithful, we can be faithful. Because we know that whom we, we know in whom we have believed, we know he's a solid rock, then we can hold fast the hope that we have in, in him without wavering. Even in this storm, though a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, it shall not come nigh me. Because I have faith and I am faithful to stand on the solid rock. 2 Corinthians 10, 11 says, these things happen to them as examples. You remember we read this scripture last week. What things happened? All the things we, we've been reading about in the Bible, all the Old Testament. Now for us, the New Testament people. They were written down as examples and warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. Last week we talked about, we believe we're living in the end times. We believe all this happened before and all, all of this has been culminating. It's been, in, it's been brewing. It's been stirring. The storm is almost here, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? We're living in the culmination of the ages. It says, so if you think you're standing firm, 
be careful that you don't fall. Well, you say, well, I'm not going to fall. Well, that's funny. I see a lot of people all around falling that I never thought would fall. I see people leaving the church. Used to be Christians. Do you want to be one day labeled as a used to be Christian? Well, he said, you better be careful. You better make sure you're standing firm. Verse 13 says, no temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. He's saying exactly what I just got through saying. This stuff has been going on for every generation and every lifetime. In every person's lifetime, you are going to face the kind of challenges we're facing today. This is nothing new. No temptation has overcome you except as what is common to man. And God is faithful. Say faithful. That's all you need to know. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So that you can be faithful like he is. I love him because he first loved me. I'm faithful because he's faithful to me. You see what I'm saying? We have a covenant partner that we can, we can trust. We don't desert our covenant partner in the midst of the darkness. So anyway, last week we talked about old Jacob. Swindler, that's what his name means. He got, he got swindled all right. He met a bigger swindler than him. He ran into old crazy Uncle Laban. And he wanted to marry his daughter, Rachel. He had to work seven years for her. But then he, they got the old switcheroo on the, on the wedding night. And he got old cow-eyed Leah instead. Now, why you call her cow-eyed Leah, Pastor? That's not right. You shouldn't call her. Because her name, Leah, means cow-eyes. You thought I was just making that up, didn't you? Okay, so, see, he loved lovely Rachel, but he also had cow-eyed Leah, which he didn't love her as much. Now, I know that's wrong. I mean, we shouldn't just look at physical attractiveness or nothing like that. I know. None of us would ever do that. But anyway, God feels sorry for Leah. So he shuts Rachel's womb, and he lets Leah begin to have children. And Leah's thinking to herself, if I can have sons from, from my husband Jacob, then he will love me. So she has a son. His name is Reuben. She says, no, I know he's going to love me now. And then she has another son, and his name is Simeon, I think. And then one named Levi, and then one named Judah. And you're thinking to yourself, where do I remember these names from? Aha, I knew some of you have been reading the Bible. Those are members of the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, the sons of Jacob would become the 12 tribes of Israel. When you get to heaven that day, and you walk under that pearly gate, up on there is going to be written one of Jacob's, either his sons, his 10 sons, or one of his two grandchildren's names, the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's what we're talking about here today. Well, she has four children, and then she stops having children for a moment. But Rachel's over there fuming. She's mad at Jacob. Jacob, why can't I have any children? Why is Leah having all the children? He said, it ain't my problem. <laughs> well, she pulls a Sarah move. You remember the Sarah move? 
Here, marry my maid and have children. Isn't it funny how history just repeats itself? Always repeating itself because flesh is flesh. It always be flesh. So she gives her her maid. I think her name was Bilma or Wilma or something. I don't know. <laughs> and Bildad or something. I don't know. Anyway, she begins to, Jacob says, okay, you know, men. Oh, that sounds fun to me. Anyway, he marries this other maid, begins to have children through her. Well, then Leah's not having babies anymore. She said, she gives him her maid. Can you say dysfunction? <laughs> this is like a long lost episode of Jerry Springer in the making here. You would think God says, well, these are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. We'll do this right. But God works with man where he's at, doesn't he? <laughs> and we don't give him much to work with, that's for sure. Let the dysfunction begin. But anyway, we're going to talk about Joseph today. Joseph was the 11th child born. And he was actually the first one born to Rachel out of her own body, not her maid. And so Jacob loved Joseph the most. In fact, he got Joseph a, a, coat, a coat of many colors to prove it. How many of you know favoritism like that in the family isn't good? I mean, there's, there's people out there right now been through 30 years of counseling because of things like this. How do you think that made the other brothers feel? And there was one daughter named Dinah. How do you think they felt that, that the dad said, you're my favorite. I love you. Let me give you something I don't give everybody else. You say, well, I would never do. I know somebody right now still does those kind of things. You're my number one. And she said, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I see some counseling in some people's future. Kids are smarter than that. They can recognize you showing favoritism. Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, anyway, Joseph was an amazing young fella. He had this pretty coat and everything, but, but he also must have had a relationship with God because he began to have dreams. And in one of his dreams, he was a, a, a sheaf of wheat, and his, and his sheaf stood up, and 11 other sheaves of wheat bowed down before his sheaf. And he went and told his brothers this. <laughs> he was an amazing young man with not a lot of wisdom. You got to be careful who you tell your dreams to because they'll talk you out of them or they'll hate you because of it. But anyway, he had another dream similar and even his mom and dad were bowing down to him. So his brothers began to hate Joseph. They were jealous he's got the coat. <laughs> they were jealous that the dad loved him the most. And now he's thinking we're going to bow down to him. Who is this kid? They hated him. And one day Joseph went out to, to check on his brothers. And when they were in the fields, you know, watching the herds and stuff. And they saw him coming from a distance. And they said, there he is, an old dreamer. You can hear him talking. You know how those people do. Here he comes. They had their mind made up about him. And what they want to do? Somebody said, let's kill him. Now, where I remember that from? 
Somebody wanting to kill their brother. Oh, we talked about Cain and Abel, remember? Why? Because the flesh is the flesh. It don't matter what generation you're living in, and I'm here to tell you today, your flesh can be just as evil as their flesh was. You can be a murderer in your heart. You can be a real live murderer if you keep following that flesh. That flesh hadn't changed. There's only one thing that can overcome the flesh in your life, and that is the Spirit of God. But let me not, not get off track. Where was I at? Okay. So they saw him coming, and the oldest one had a little sense. Reuben said, hold on, he's our brother, and let's not have his blood on our hands. Let's just throw him in this pit. <laughs> well, thanks, Reuben. But they threw him in the pit, but Reuben was planning on coming back and getting him out later. But they came up with a better plan. They saw some Midianites, slave traders, coming by with a wagon. They said, let's sell him and make some money. And so they sold their own flesh and blood. They sold him to some Midianite slave traders who were on their way to Egypt. Now, Joseph is not getting a good start here. How would you feel if you were ridiculed because of your dreams, you were hated by your own family to the point that they wanted to kill you, but they settled for selling you into slavery? For a lot of us, that would be a good excuse, wouldn't it? Well, I'm just not going to try anymore. I can't do anything to please anybody. And that's where a lot of us are. All those years of counseling, and we're still here where we're not doing anything. We don't feel like we can do anything. We're still holding on to the hurts of the past, and their hurts are real. I understand. Some of you have been treated worse than that. You've been hurt by people who were supposed to love you. You've been put in situations beyond your control. You're thinking, well, if this is just the way the world is, then I'm just going to check out. But I'm telling you, that's not what Joseph did. He was sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar who was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. So he was a rich guy. And he had slaves in his house, probably a lot of them. What did Joseph do? He didn't quit. He didn't check out. He didn't. Say, I've got, a, I've got a hall pass. I've got an excuse because my life was like this. Instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to keep doing everything as if unto the Lord. His relationship with Jesus kept him steady in the storm. He said, I'm going to keep doing things right. I'm going to keep pleasing the Lord. God must have a plan. Surely all things are going to work together for my good because God is on my side. And he kept continued to do what was right. And in Genesis 39, 2, it says the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Really, that's all we need to know is God is with us. We can't doubt that just because our situations aren't going according to the way we prayed. Because God said no, and God delayed some things, and our, and our dreams hadn't come to pass yet. And it doesn't say, we don't see a way. Just because we can't see a way don't mean there ain't a way. So Joseph stayed faithful, and his relationship with God wasn't the first thing that he chunked out of his wallet. You know what I mean? 
Our relationship with God is so flippant in America. Some people can go through a, a financial hard time or lose a job or something and say, well, I'm go- I got a choice between my gym membership and, and stop tithing. Well, I'm going to go work out. I mean, we just, the first thing to go is our relationship and our obligation and our faithfulness to God. Oh, my kid is playing soccer. Oh, he's got games on Sunday. Well, we'll go back to church when his season's over. The first thing to go is that one hour or two hours on Sunday or your dedication to Jesus. But not so with young Joseph. I believe if Joseph was here right now in the middle of this pandemic, he'd be like you. He'd be serving God harder right now than he did before the pandemic hit. With all the excuses that he could have not to be here, he'd be here all the more, just like you. You are people who have determined in their heart that nothing's going to shake my foundation in Christ. In Jeremiah 17, 7, it says, But blessed, say blessed. Do you want to be blessed? Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're not trusting in the stock market, not trusting in their jobs, but the Lord is their hope and confidence. And they're like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach down deep into the water. And such trees are not bothered by heat, not worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Right through the drought, right through the heat, the battle. They keep producing fruit. Hallelujah. Blessed. That's the ones who God's looking for, looking all over the earth, looking to and fro. Who can I bless? Somebody's going to be faithful, I guarantee you that. So Joseph overcame a rough beginning with his family who sold him out because of his dreams. He overcome circumstances that were beyond his control that would cause most people to doubt their faith. Now would he serve God in a prison of injustice because he ran into Potiphar's wife. She said, hmm, that man good looking. The Bible says he was well made. She began to lust after Joseph. She began to follow Joseph around, and Joseph was running from this woman. And that's scriptural because the Bible says flee sexual temptation, sexual immorality. Run. And Joseph was running, but she cornered him one day and got a hold of his robe. And so he got out of the robe and ran. But then she felt guilty. She's sitting there holding his robe like she did something. So she hollered rape or, you know, whatever she said. She said, he tried to get me. And she, when Potiphar came home, she lied on Joseph. And Potiphar was mad and threw him into prison. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> what did Joseph do? Did, surely he quit by now, right? Genesis 39, 21 says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the darkness of the prison. In the dank, rank, smelling prison, the Spirit of the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. 
In other words, instead of languishing in prison, sitting over in the corner, eating his little bread, talking bad about the guards, talking bad about his life, rehearsing all the things that had hurt him, he kept doing everything as if unto the Lord. Kept his hand to the plow, his eyes on the, on the Lord. And in 1 Peter 2.19 it says, God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure injustice, unjust treatment. Can we read that again? God is pleased. When is he pleased? When you know his will, and you know he's got a will for your life, right? You've got to be conscious that he has a plan for your life. That you patiently endure unjust treatment. Because the people that are going to do God's will are going to face more tribulation than the world. Because we have an enemy. Who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are going to face hard times. But God is pleased. When you patiently endure, even though you didn't bring it on yourself. You say, well, I tried to do, I tried to serve God, but then everything fell apart. Well, yeah. It's test. It's character building. You've got to learn to endure in the darkness. When you can't see what God is doing, you don't understand. You have to keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Is that what Rocky said? So, long story, he's in prison. Pharaoh gets mad at his cupbearer and his uh, baker, and he's, he sends them to prison. So they put Joseph in charge of taking care of them because they're royalty. Kinda, they've been in Pharaoh's house. So he's taking care of them, and they both have a dream one night. And they're all worried and don't know what it means. And Joseph said, tell me your dream. And God helped him interpret both of their dreams. The baker was to die. The cupbearer was to be reinstated. And he told the cupbearer, he said, when you get reinstated, tell Pharaoh about me that I'm in here unjustly and see if, if he can help me. Well, things came to pass just as, as Joseph had predicted through the Spirit of the Lord. And the cupbearer was reinstated. But he forgot Joseph. And for the next two years, Joseph sat in prison. That must have been the hardest two years of all of this. To be languishing in prison, just to be sitting there. Innocent. Knowing that somebody should be helping you, but they're not. Thinking that there's never, there's not going to be any hope. There's no hope. In the 1950s, there was a scientist that did an experiment on a mouse. He put a mouse in a little bucket of water. He wanted to see how long that mouse could tread water. I may have told this story. I told somebody, I can't remember if it was you. And the mouse was treading water, you know, trying to stay afloat. There was nowhere to hold on to for 15 minutes. And then he finally gave up and began to sink under the water. He was just, he was through. He was gone. But the scientist reached in there, put his hand in there, and pulled that mouse out. The little mouse got him a little breath. He cleaned him off and everything. And they let him uh, get his breath back. And what did they do? Put the poor little mouse back in the bucket. 
to see how long he could survive the second time. This is after he had done supposedly got to the end of himself. How long do you think he lasted the second time? Who would say five minutes? Who would say ten? Would he, surely he's tired now. He couldn't make it a whole another 15 minutes, could he? What if I told you he made it an hour the second time? What if I told you this is true story? The little mouse treaded water for 60 hours the second time. The only thing that the scientists could, could figure out is now the mouse knew that there was a hope that there was going to be a hand to come down and pull him out. It was the hope that was in him that he would be rescued, that gave him the courage to go beyond what he thought, his mind thought that his body could do. He went 60 hours now that he had hope that there would be a hand to reach down and rescue and evacuate him from his circumstances. That must have been what Joseph held on to for those two, two years. But he's faithful in the pit. He's faithful in the prison. He shows perseverance. He shows patience. And that's how God-sized dreams come to pass. Some of us just think, well, God gave me a dream, and, and I know it's going to come to pass one day. It's like sitting on a shovel saying, God's going to dig me a hole. We have our part to play. Come to find out, God was behind all of this. Come to find out, it says that God allowed Joseph to go through these character-building exercises, this faith-testing, faithfulness-testing, time of testing, so that he could put him second in charge of all Egypt. And then he could save his brothers. You say, why would he want to save his brothers? They're the one who threw him in the pit in the first place. Because he had a different spirit than we do. He walked so close with God, he prayed for his enemies. He loved those that despised him. Yes, they brought him out finally after two years. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream. He told him there's going to be seven years of plenty, but it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph said, here's what you ought to do. You ought to save up during the seven years of plenty so you have for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, who is this guy? He read my dreams, and now he's telling me how to do it. Let's put this guy in charge. And Pharaoh did. And now here he is, second in charge of all Egypt. And these seven years of famine come. And Jacob and all his sons are starving to death. And, and they say, I hear there's grain in Egypt. So they go to Egypt to check this out. Can we buy some grain? And there's Joseph in charge of the grain. And what do they do? Just like in Joseph's dream, they bow down. They bow down because of his authority. They bow down because of his position that God put him in. And his dream comes to pass. But we find that God did this so that he could save Jacob and his sons. So that he could save the future nation of Israel. So that he could save all the surrounding nations that were to, to perish if they didn't save 
up grain. And Egypt didn't have the, the wisdom to, to put silos together and save up grain to save the surrounding area. And he used J Joseph in a mighty, mighty way. Do you see what? See, sometimes God's plans don't come. If they're big plans, they don't come to pass right away. Where was I at? I wrote this, and it's probably kind of harsh. Every generation can claim their fair share of excuses. But what are excuses but people's crutch? The wide path that leads to destruction, it's full of dreamers with good intentions. Everybody wants to do great things. Everybody had dreams when they were little. Everybody wants to do God-sized things. But not everybody has the faithfulness, the fortitude, or the gumption to actually endure a challenge. And I'm here to encourage you to be different. Don't think serving the Lord is going to be easy. Know that it's not. But say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will keep standing. Having done all to stand, the storm coming, everybody else's house is blowing down, and you got your face set like flint. I shall not be moved. You come too far to quit the race now, you guys in here. You come too far. I see people falling. The church is probably about half the size in America right now that it was before COVID. It's all the excuse most people needed. But I'm here to encourage you today, don't quit. Don't you quit. Don't you slow down. Don't you back off. Frank Abagnale said two mice fell in a bucket of cream. One mice quickly surrendered and drowned, but the other mice, mouse kept churning that cream until he turned it into butter and he crawled his way out. Which mouse are you? <laughs> That's a story in a movie that Kaylee always quotes. I thought I'd throw that in there since we're talking about mice in a bucket today. <laughs> James 1.12 said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to them that love him. Do you want that crown of life? You see, there's some that shine brighter in the darkness and there's some that's swallowed up by it. There's some that grow stronger under pressure and there's some that just cave to it. There's some that heard that message, that first message I, I preached after we, we heard that COVID was a serious deal. And the first message God gave me, and I know it was from God, and I preached about don't fear. Don't fear what's to come. Be strong. Have courage. I preached a strong message on fear that first week. And that next week, everybody said amen. Everybody said amen. That next week, half the church wasn't, I ain't seen them since. Some of them. 
Hadn't seen them since. And if that's you, you know what? We've all fallen at times. We've all made mistakes. We've all chickened out. We've all had lapses of judgment. But a good man gets back up. Though he may fall seven times, he gets back up. And I'm, I'm pleading with you, anybody who's supposed to be here, who's not. Anybody who's fallen by the wayside, they, maybe you weren't prepared then. But I'm, I'm pleading with you to get back in your race. I want you to hear my voice as your under-shepherd. I know Jesus is your shepherd. And you know his voice. But he has placed me in your life, most of you, as your pastor. Now you can take that for what you want. But I'm pleading with you to repair your back brakes. Fix third gear and your clutch. Lest you find yourself barrel rolling down Shelby Drive becoming the laughing stock of all your friends. And become a used to be Christian. Because it's happening. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't stop with your faithfulness to come to church. Don't stop tithing and giving and serving and, and witnessing. Don't stop. Don't slow down. And for goodness sakes, join a life group. These are things that God has given you to protect you guardrails, to keep you on track. They pro you, these are maintenance items you can't afford not to take care of. You need to be under the umbrella of God's protection. Man's heart just won't act right by itself. Your flesh is the same flesh as everybody else's. If you don't follow the Spirit and you take a break, you're going to find yourself in places you didn't think you were going to be. You thought you'd never be again. We'll close. Let's turn to John 15. I love you. John 15, verse 4. Remain in me. Who's this talking? It's Jesus. The one who bled and died for you and rose again. He's telling you something so important. He said, remain in me. Remain in me. And I will remain in you. You see, I'm faithful. Even when you're not faithful, I'm still faithful. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. Where does our life source come from? Where does our ability to do good things come from? To love others. To, to break those generational curses. Where does that power come from? The vine. To be the connection with Jesus. And yes, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He said, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. And those who, who think that they can uh, love Jesus but not go to church, maybe for a little while. But you can't love Jesus and hate his bride and neglect the very thing that he, he's building here on the earth to protect you. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. He's looking for faithful people that he can answer their prayers. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And that brings great glory to my Father. And I know deep in your heart that's what you want your life to do. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things now so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. You'll be blessed. You'll have love. I'll answer your prayers, even in the pit and even in the prison. I would rather be a, in the prison right now with no hope in things of this world but have Christ than living in the biggest mansion in Hollywood without Christ. And I wrote one more difficult statement. Faith without faithfulness is just talk. All you saying you love Jesus, saying you believe the devil, the devils believe and tremble. All this big faith talk. But if it's not followed up with faithfulness, that's all it is. It's talk. And that's why half the church has deserted the faith during this pandemic. It's time to get real. Time to make it real. Don't you feel the tug of God's love on your heart? What could be more important than that? That connection with your maker? To know that he has a plan that's good for you to prosper, be in health, and, and to do great things. To achieve curse generational curse breaking things to be the one that turned it all around in your generation I'm telling you Jesus took 11 disciples and turned the world upside down I guess 12 if you add Matthias he invested in a few he just needs a few faithful and you're it and you're saying but you don't know man I ain't got much to offer well, you're in perfect position because he'll, he'll show his strength through your weakness. It ain't about your ability, but your availability. It's all just about you saying, yes, Lord. 
I'm standing with you. I'm going to keep doing the things that I know to do. I'm going to stay on the rock. And I'm going, to, I'm going to stand firm in the midst of these trials and these tribulations. And I'm going to serve you with all my heart. Though everything is, is falling around me, I'm going to keep my focus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, but has sat down at the right hand of God Almighty. He's up there ever living to make intercession for you. He will help you. He helped Joseph. He will help you. So I want to encourage you, faithful. And many of many of our faithful are on live stream right now because I, you know, we've just went through another big hiccup with this COVID thing. And and uh, I told them, don't come if there's, you know, we got to do all that we can in the natural if we want to see God use the supernatural, right? We don't wear a seatbelt because it's a lack of faith. It's common sense. Jesus didn't jump off the Temple Mount just to prove he could. So we do what we can in the natural. We believe God for the supernatural. So I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to you faithful. But now I'm fixing to preach to those who may not know Christ at all. And you didn't even know. Or those who may have fallen away. The good news is, He's faithful. Though we fall away, though we walk away, though we lose sight of things, He's faithful. He's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And He's done it for me a million times. And I just keep coming back to Him. I keep running to Jesus. Every time I fall, I keep running back. Because I love him and I know he loves me. And I remain in him. Even when I'm making mistakes, I say I'm remaining in you because this is my safe haven. This is my harbor. So keep running to Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, he's that good. He says, come unto me. His arms are open wide. Come unto me. I will give you rest. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If there's anybody in here today that's heard this message or you're on the live stream and you've heard this message and your heart is stirred, I want you to know that your life does have meaning and that God's love is that big, that he can forgive you of every sin that you have ever committed. The blood that he spilt on Calvary, it was for you. He died on that cross and the sin debt was paid. He said, it is finished. Now all that is left is for you to just reach out by faith and receive by grace this amazing love and forgiveness into your life and be adopted into his family. And You do that simply with your mouth and your heart lining up together. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You'll be saved. Saved from hell to come. Saved from your sins. Saved from a lackluster, unproductive life. Saved from your sin, the thing that you hate worst about yourself. He will send His Spirit into your heart to give you the power to overcome sin. To break those chains of addiction. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to pray with me out loud. 
like you're unashamed, not embarrassed, like you're ready to make a life change. Say, Jesus, forgive me of sin. Cleanse me. Be the Lord of my life. Sit on the throne. You're the boss. I follow you. I give you my life. I am yours. Show me this great love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Praise God. I'm happy as a lark to be part of a church that's still on fire for Jesus. I am just so thankful for each and every one of you guys. And I know when we go through hard times, it just causes us to pray for one, or more, one another even more so. And it causes me to love you even more so when I see what you're going through. My heart reaches out to each one of you. And, and to see that it's returned by the way you've treated me and Angie at the passing of her mother this last couple of weeks. This is the kind of life you want to live. You want to live in community. You want to have people that's on your side. That's the whole reason for the church. Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength and love your neighbors as yourself. And this is your opportunity. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.